Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC, and it is Rivalry Week. It is Florida, Tennessee Week, and with that, my first guest tonight, this episode of Gators Breakdown to help preview this Florida, Tennessee matchup is managing editor... Managing editor for Last Word on college football and Tennessee volunteer fan Mike Laval. Mike, we've had you on Gators Breakdown the last couple of seasons, breaking this game down, and I want to thank you again for coming on here and and doing it all over again. Dave, it's always a pleasure to join Gators Breakdown. Love what you've got here with Gators Breakdown. Yeah, so uh, you know, you and I, we go back some time with Mark Rogers, and uh, you know, we we started this venture as SEC breakdown, but that was a whole lot of time consumption. So uh, we, uh, I, I, when that kind of was done, I was like, you know what, I'll keep that breakdown name and just put Gators in front of it. <laughs> well, you've done great. You've done great there at Gators Breakdown. I really enjoy seeing the success you're having there. Thank you, much. And of course, as I said, you can catch uh, Mike and his team there at Last Word on College Football. We had Kevin uh, McGuffey on a couple weeks ago, uh, previewing the uh, uh, Florida Kentucky matchup. So, you know, Mike, good work that uh, that you guys have there going on. You know, covering covering many teams in college football, and of course, you cover. Uh, you know, you got the Tennessee side of things, uh, Kevin with Kentucky, or some Florida coverage there. A lot of other teams uh, in college football covered there in college football in general. Yeah, we try to get, we try to go across the college landscape. Uh, we cover almost uh, as many teams as we can. We don't, we don't have a full complement yet, but check us out last word on collegefootball.com and check me out at mike l underscore lws on Twitter. Uh, gladly gladly field some questions from any of your viewers, uh, Gator fan viewers, at any time. Yeah, heck yeah, heck yeah. There we go, um, Mike. Not too long ago, you and I joined Mark Rogers to to discuss our history uh, with the Florida Tennessee game, and you know talked about our favorite memories and such, and how important this rivalry is for both schools. So everybody, if you want to go out there, go to Mark Rogers uh, TV on YouTube, and uh, you can see uh, Mike and they're having some fun with this rivalry. Yeah, it's a little bit more fun for for uh, you and your team than it is for us. Uh, <laughs> but but it is a, it is a great rivalry. It's a modern rivalry. It's not uh, the historic SEC rivalry as as maybe Florida Georgia or Auburn Georgia or Tennessee Alabama is. But uh, it, it is a what I call a modern SEC rivalry, uh, and a lot of lot of drama there. Some uh, some intrigue with the facts gate. Uh, some horribly blown calls. Gaffney Stool did not catch the ball. Uh, Mike, uh, about that, about that too. I was listening to Steve Spurrier on uh, on Sirius Radio today. Even he admits it wasn't a catch. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I, I know. And Ron Zook has admitted that he received the facts. Uh, so I mean, you know, it's all out there. Some bad calls. Uh, some great players: Peyton Manning, Danny Warfel, uh, Tim Tebow. Uh, some great players on both sides of the ball. Uh, so you know, and it, it kind of you know the ups and downs of college football. Uh, so I think this rivalry, for being a modern rivalry, really has a, a lot of great aspects in it. Two fan bases that don't really like each other very much, and, and that's okay. That's kind of the spirit of college football. Uh, but, but yeah, it's a great modern rivalry. It's a rivalry that you and I grew up in. Uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to, to, to get in touch with those old school rivalries that maybe not that maybe don't have the relevancy that they do today. You think back Nebraska, Oklahoma, that used to be a great rivalry, but you know it was a little bit before our time. Uh, some other rivalries like that. Uh, but but this is a rivalry that you and I grew up with. 
so you know we can touch this we can feel this rivalry so i'm excited you know it's it's florida hate week in tennessee and it's tennessee hate week in gainesville so uh this is really what college football is all about excited uh to renew this uh this rivalry yet again all righty and uh, later on in this episode neil blackman from saturday down south will join in and discuss uh his art his latest article and, and why this is the biggest florida tennessee game in the last decade but before we get there it will preview the tennessee volunteers with mike but remember you can find gators breakdown on news4jacks.com slash gators breakdown you'll find all the gators breakdown episodes as well as articles from the news for jack sports team that's news4jacks.com slash gators breakdown and find gators breakdown on itunes google play here live on youtube or you can go back and watch the video version on youtube if you want and catch us on social media at um on twitter and facebook at gators breakdown so mike coming in to this game, it's really tough to know uh, where these teams are coming into this game. Uh, neither has looked all that great against the one Power 5 team they've faced. And, of course, Florida in conference with Kentucky and, and Tennessee with West Virginia in the opener. Uh, and, it's hard to, and it's also hard to know what to take away from the two opponents they both should blow out, and they did. Are you like me and looking at this game that it's tough to get a read on what we'll see Saturday night? Yeah, I, I really am. I, I think for Tennessee fans, it's a little bit harder to get a read. A lot of new guys coming in. Uh, of, of course, as soon as I say that, Brandon Kennedy, transfer offensive lineman from Alabama, come in. I, I thought he was going to be the most important guy that transferred in. He's injured after the you know uh, second week of practice or the week after the first game of practice, so he's not there. Keller Chris transfer from Stanford. Uh, he is clearly the number two quarterback. Jared Guantano is. is has taken command of the starting quarterback role, so he's he's not really in there. Madre London is one of the uh, four cadre there at running back, so you know they got a, a pretty what's turning out to be a pretty deep group of running backs. But I think the the big transfer is Dominique Wood Anderson there at tight end. I think he's going to be a key to this game. So so the reason I say that is because you know I I've contended ever since spring ball that the Tennessee team this year is going to look a lot different in November than it looks in September. We still really don't know what we have on our hands with Tennessee. Go back to West Virginia, a lot of uh, mental mistakes on offense to start the game and a lot of defensive breakdowns in the second half to finish the game. Uh, so, But there has been a little bit of improvement. If you watch the film, a little bit of improvement in week, from week one to week two and week two to week three. I, I still don't think Tennessee fans are comfortable uh, that they know the identity with this team or the potential of this team. Is it a three-win team or is it possibly a six- or seven-win team? Uh, I, I don't think we know that yet. Uh, they're in Knoxville, uh, so I, I really think it, it's. I think it's a little bit harder for Tennessee fans. I, I think Florida has a little bit more of a consistency from last year as far as the players go and the talent level. So I, I really think it's harder, a little bit harder for Tennessee fans I, uh, to know what they have now. Again, I think I think the Vols are a team that's going to look a lot different in November after this coaching staff gets uh, what amounts to two times as much practice time during the regular seasons as they've had during spring ball and fall camp. I really think the Vols will look a lot different when they play Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt than they look uh, week one against West Virginia, and the, the, and then they're going to look week four against Florida. Uh, you go back to week one, Mike, and you know it was the marquee game so far for, for Tennessee, and you were, were able to hang around uh, for a half with, with West Virginia, but you know it's kind of the offensive woes from last year uh, crept back up, and too many maybe dinks and dunk passes, not enough big plays. You know, you you, you got to hit big plays if you're going to keep up with West Virginia. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know a little, little from the running game outside Tim Jordan's run there, but you know Garantano, uh, respectable, nineteen to twenty-five, but only one hundred and seventy-two yards. So you're, you're going back to that game, uh, just in case you know Florida fans missed it or, or, or whatever. You know, just uh, as I said, close in the first half, but then kind of the rails fell off in the second. Yeah, but pretty efficient offense. I, I think Warrantano was definitely the best offensive player of the day there. The offensive line struggled. Uh, struggled a little bit more than what I thought against the West Virginia defense that quite frankly surprised me a little bit, particularly their pressure up front, their nose guard, uh, defensive tackle up front there just uh, created havoc in the backfield, and our offensive line just wasn't able to handle that. Guarantano looked good. The defense uh, managed well up until the midway through the third quarter, and then Will Greer got on fire and just uh, kind of carved up the defensive secondary. A lot of young guys in our defensive secondary and uh, you know he took advantage of pretty much every mistake they made in the second half, particularly on the corner blitz. The safeties weren't able to get uh, to cover the, the the deep half or on the set on the side where the safety blitz, and, and he's he had three or four uh, big time plays 
all off one defensive call, the corner blitz where the safety wasn't able to get over and provide that over-the-top coverage. So, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a disappointing start for Tennessee fans. Uh, you know, At halftime, we thought there was some hope of us pulling out the upset, even after a very sluggish off, offensive start. Uh, but West Virginia pulled away in the second half, and, and Tennessee fans, uh, after a rain delay at halftime, West Virginia pulled away in the second half, and Tennessee fans left Charlotte uh, pretty disappointed. And uh, kind of resigned to a to another rebuilding year, as opposed to maybe a, a, a an impactful first year under head, new head coach Jeremy Pruitt. All right, and we'll start there at quarterback with Garantano. And uh, I put this stat out there on the last episode of Gators Breakdown, and, and pretty impressive here. Uh, one of four quarterbacks without an interception in the SEC this year, uh, and only below Jake Fromm for uh, you know his percentage of completed passes. Uh, Jake Fromm at 80.4. Garantano was 72.2. So he's taking care of the ball there uh, and, and completing the passes. And you know, under Pruitt, you know, we probably thought we might see this power run team uh, and then hit, you know, try and hit the big plays through play action and, and stretch the field vertically there. Uh, Garantano, Garantano a little bit of RPOs in the offense now from, from what I've seen and looking at it. So it'd be interesting if they try and, and open up this passing game uh, versus Florida. You know, the yardage isn't really there in the passing game so far. And maybe, maybe you know, Tyson Hilton maybe coming in, maybe you d- dialing up some quick throws to help Garantano and the offensive line. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think well, first of all, Gorantan has looked uh, the best offensive player to me through the first three games. There, I don't think any player looks more better than last year than Jared Gorantano. It's amazing what a quarterback coach will do for a quarterback. Uh, so it's great to have a quarterback coach on the staff there. Uh, and he, he looks really good, very efficient. You, you mentioned the stats, uh, very efficient, not, not big yards, but that's okay. I, I think the biggest problem uh, with the passing game so far has been the, the lack of confidence and the ability of the, of the offensive line to protect Garantano to give him three or four seconds of protection to go downfield. And, that, and that's why you see a lot of 10-yard outs, a lot of six-yard outs, uh, and a lot of passes uh, to, to the running back side of the backfield. But I think Tennessee's passing game can be effective. They've got a lot of talent on the outside. Mm-hmm. Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway are big bodies. You can depend on those guys when it's third and four, third and five. You can throw the out route, and you know that their bodies are big enough. They can shield the defender, and you can trust them to make the catch. Guarantano has been very accurate uh, on everything inside 15 yards. Uh, and then you have two uh, two guys who have shown deep deep play abilities so far, Josh Palmer and Brandon Johnson uh, with speed, tall guys, and all four of those guys, Callaway, Jennings, uh, Palmer, and Johnson can all uh, be effective weapons uh, in the red zone. They're, they're all tall guys and they're all uh, pretty uh, pretty well-built frames that can go up and high point the ball and, and, and can be used in the red zone. And then you add in Dominique Wood Anderson, who is a tremendous athlete. I think you're going to see a lot of him uh, on Saturday, uh, particularly exploiting that middle, because I, th- I think Florida is going to bring some pressure, and I think that's going to leave some space across the middle. I, I look to Guarantano to target Wood Anderson uh, quite a bit on Saturday, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, maybe a you know no, be- no better player than than Guarantano for, from last year. And uh, Tennessee only had four plays of at least fifty yards last year, five so far this season. And Guarantano has is involved with two of those. Right. And here's the, going back to Guarantano. Yeah, the offensive sh- the offense has shown uh, the potential to be much better than last year. Again, it all revolves around the offensive line. But it looked, it, and I'm sure this isn't the case, but it's looked like, particularly in the first two games, that Guarantano was on a no run uh, mandate. Mm-hmm. He did have uh, six rushes against. Um, against UTEP last week. I think I think four of those were called runs. So it's going to be interesting to see if Guarantano is, is utilized in the run game more than he has the first three games. The play calling for games two and games three, East Tennessee State and UTEP were extremely conservative, which is fine. Tennessee came out and, and did what they needed to do against those two teams. They, they didn't look great against UTEP, uh, but it was a very, uh, very conservative playbook. I think probably 15 total plays were called in the game. You know, those plays were called multiple times, uh, and they were all uh, pretty much base plays, uh, maybe for the exception of one or two of those, but very conservative. So it's going to be interesting to see if Guarantano is utilized more in the run game against Florida, something that we haven't really seen on film yet from this coaching staff. Now, speaking of the run game and, and with the running backs this time, 345 yards last week against UTEP. Uh, so there's a chance, you know, the ground game may, may have found its you know big time groove last week and, and get going against, uh, you know, a Florida defense that two weeks ago 
uh, didn't look so good against Kentucky. You know, that, that's, that's to be nice about it. So uh, Tennessee probably has to at least try and, and run the ball first with, the, with this running game and see where it gets them. And, and who do you think may get the bulk of the carries out of Ty Chandler, Tim Jordan, and, and Madre London? Yeah, you got the Jeremy Banks in there. Tennessee's got really a four-man rotation there between uh, those four guys. I, I will tell you, going back to last week, and I took a little bit of heat in my game grades article that, that I put out after every game. You know, I gave the running backs a C. Uh, you know, three hundred forty-five yards sounds impressive, but then it was on fifty carries. Uh, so you know, you, you do the math, and then eighty-one of those yards came on one play. So, so if you take that away, you got two two hundred sixty yards on on forty-nine carries, which comes out to about five yards a carry. Look, UTEP is a bad bad team. They're probably the worst uh, FBS team in all of FBS. They're really bad. So so it was an okay day, I think, rushing, but I wouldn't let that 345 yards carry the day. I, I think when you I think when you take the 181 yard run out of it and then consider the 240 yards on on 49 carries, uh, you know, when, when you're a team like Tennessee in the SEC and you're playing a team as bad as UTEP, if you can't get 225 yards or 240 yards on 49 carries, uh, then, then, then there's something really wrong. Um, so, so uh, you know, I, I think they'll probably try to establish the run, and, and they got four good running backs. I think you'll probably try to. I, I think you'll see Ty Chandler and Tim Jordan probably get the bulk of the carries early. Uh, and I think to establish the run, I think they're going to utilize a lot of screens. Uh, and they're going to throw to the running backs out of the backfield to kind of loosen up what I think is going to be a, a pressure attack from the Florida defense. Uh, Ty Chandler is the big play threat at running back. Tim Jordan would be the number two guy. Banks and, and London are more uh, tough yardage, short yardage guys. They can break off 15, 20, 25 yard runs, but they don't have the explosiveness that Ty Chandler has particularly, and then Tim Jordan behind him. So I think early in the game you're going to see Ty Chandler and, and Tim uh, and Tim Jordan get the majority of the plays, possibly some off tackle stuff, and then possibly screens out of the backfield to try to break a big play. Uh, but, but you know, I, I, I'm not convinced with this offensive line that we'll be able to establish an effective running game, uh, even even seeing what Kentucky did against your your front seven. I, I just I'm, I'm I'm not convinced we're going to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. Florida, Florida was out of position. Uh, a lot of those plays didn't take the right angles out of their lanes, you know, and, and definitely issue number one was, was tackling, uh, missed tackles, uh, you know, getting get, making contact but not wrapping up. So, you know, what what back would scream more of? And also going back to last year's Florida Tennessee game, you know, this this Florida linebacker core is a lot of the same guys there, and they they, they couldn't tackle uh, Kelly from last year, John Kelly, the running back last year, who torched Florida in the second half of that game. You know, if Tennessee starts playing that style of ball, where they you know where they want to isolate a running back on a linebacker, who might that running back be? Well, I, I think to isolate him in, in the running game, I think you're looking at Jeremy Banks uh, and then Madre London. Those are the guys that can that can really wear down uh, a defense. Again, I think you're going to see Chandler and Jordan early, uh, okay. early and often in the first and second quarters, and then you'll see a lot of heavy, and particularly if Tennessee can get a lead, you'll see a heavy dose mm -hmm. of Banks and London uh, in the third quarter to try to wear that defense down, and then you go back to the big play guys and try to break off a game-breaking 60-yard run uh, with Chandler and Palmer. So, but, but the bottom line is I, I think you're going to see all four running backs and yeah. you're going to see them rotate it through quite frequently. And they're going to try to present different looks, but again, going back to the running game performance as, as with the passing game performance, Tennessee's ability to win on Saturday will come down to the performance of the offensive line Four really good, a stable of four really good running backs, a quarterback who's looked good and some talented receivers. It's all going to come down. However, to the offensive line, can they open a hole? Can they keep a defensive uh, front four for Florida out of the backfield? And can they pass protect for Guarantano to give him time to find those talented receivers downfield? Mike, uh, of course, the the, uh, the Florida offensive line is much maligned uh, as well, much like in your Tennessee there and. Um, you know, for the Florida side of things, it's you know we look at it as a mentality getting left over from from Jim McElwain uh, and those guys having to come around to that. It's their third offensive line coach in three years, uh, and you know they're learning a new, a new system. They're learning on the fly. What seems to be the issue of the Tennessee offensive line? Is it a mentality? Is it more of a of a lack of physical presence? Is it a lack of toughness? What, what do you see the issue there? Well, yeah, you know, I don't think it's a lack of wantingness or, or necessarily a lack of physicality. I think it's a lack of physicalness rather than physicality. You know, gotcha. they've got to get, they've got to get bigger um, and they've got to get better. Uh, but, but you know, they've got to execute. Uh, you, you go back and look at some of the films on their blocking. And they just they're they're missing uh, they're missing their their assignments. Uh, 
they're not uh, Tennessee's not running a zone read all uh, zone read blocking uh, exclusively now uh, with the change of the offense. So you know they did have to learn uh, a, a, a new schemes. Tyson Helton's offense does keep some zone blocking in there, so you know the offensive linemen have to learn both. But then there's the the stability. They've already had to move uh, a couple. You know they had to move a guy to center to cover for Brandon Kennedy and then move some guys there. So so you got to learn different positions. Uh, you know. It, it, but again, you're in the SEC. You're, you're going to have to you're going to have to win those battles in the trenches. And, and Tennessee's offensive line is not winning those, not because they don't want to, uh, but they, they just have to get bigger, uh, and they have to get stronger, uh, and they just have to get. Quite frankly, you got to get a little bit meaner too. Uh, so so it's not it's not necessarily physicality as it is uh, just a, just a physical presence and being able to win that battle on the offensive line. All right, Mike Laval from Last Word on College Football. Joining us here on Gators Breakdown, previewing these Tennessee Volunteers. And we'll move to the other side of the ball, Mike. And defensively, Tennessee looked a little more comfortable in its third game uh, in this new system and, and Jeremy Pruitt's system at, uh, at that, you know, albeit against the weaker competition. But, you know, a shutout is always impressive. And, of course, you know, many expected Tennessee to struggle West Virginia in that passing attack early in the year. But let's be fair. Many defenses would out there. So, Mike, where have you seen improvement on the defensive side of the ball from game one to game three, no matter who the opponent is? Well, from game one to game three, the defensive backs, I think, were the, were the biggest improvement. Uh, you know, again, West Virginia's got a very potent offense. Ky- Kyle Loxley's a quarterback that has potential there at UTEP. Of course, he's the son of the Alabama offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to hold him, uh, you know, he's a dual threat quarterback, but he's got physical ability. But, and like you said, UTEP, I've, I've told you already, UTEP's a bad team. But to hold any team in today's day and age to, to a shutout is an accomplishment. From game one to game three, I think the single best unit uh, improvement has been the defensive backs. From last year to this year, I think our defensive front, our defensive line is better. Uh, so I, our run defense last year was atrocious, and, and that is and that is about the best way you can say it. Uh, I, I think we'll, I think we're going to be better this year. This will be really our first test on whether or not our run defense is going to be better. Uh, so I, I, you know, I think Shy Tuttle looks great. Uh, I think Emmett Gooden is on his way uh, to being impactful. If we could just get a pass rush uh, from Jonathan Kongbo, the outside linebacker, taking a lot of heat as a bust, he hasn't really put up any numbers. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we'll be able to make some moves. But as far as, uh, as as far as the defensive line goes, I think those guys are probably the biggest improvement from last year to this year. As far as game one to game three, it's the defensive backfield. A lot of young guys back there. A lot of young guys, talented. Uh, but in the backfield, if you miss your assignment, you just gave up a 60-yard touchdown. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very magnified back there. Yeah, and, you know, and going back to, to last year, the starting corners are gone, but safeties Nigel Warrior and, and Micah Abernathy you know, finished second and third on the tackling last season, and they're up there in the top four in tackling so far this year as well. What's the story on the defensive backfield so far this season as the, as the safeties are actually leading the way uh, and kind of leading that group? Yeah, you, you know it, it's it's funny you say that, and you you kind of pick that up out of the stat line. But if you, I really think both of those guys have kind of had a little bit of a disappointing season so far. Particularly Nigel Warrior, you know, he was a guy looked at to come into the season and really break out and have a conference, maybe an all conference level, uh, an all conference type of season. He's got tremendous ability. Uh, you know, he's a legacy guy there at Tennessee. His dad was an All Pro defensive back in the NFL for many years. Uh, so, you know, I think when you when you look at those stats, those those might be the things that pop off on the, on the paper. But really, I think those two guys have kind of uh, underperformed a little bit, particularly in the passing uh, in, the, in the pass defense scheme. When your safeties are your leading tacklers, uh, you know that's not as bad as your cornerbacks being leading tacklers. But it's not ideal for your team. You'd really like those I'm two. Said, yeah, I'm glad you yeah. said that because that that was one thing I did notice last year. And but you mentioned it with the defensive line yeah. not being so. Yeah, uh, up to par, then yeah. it, it falls back on your safeties. <laughs> right. In, in, in a 3 4 defense, you really want your middle linebackers to be the guys that rack up the tackles. So, you know, having the safeties as, as the leading tacklers is, is probably not the best stat uh, to reflect where the defense is at. But, uh, you know, so, so we'll see. I, I think both of those guys have disappointed a little bit early in the season, uh, particularly in the passing defense. Uh, but you know, if to to stop a, a conference that's that's a run heavy conference, your safeties have to be able to to step up and play in the run defense, and then those two guys have done that so far. So again, going back to Tennessee fans, don't really know what they have. 
uh, you know, a little bit disappointment with the safeties, a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, happiness that they're able to help out in a run game and a run defense that's getting better, hopefully. So, again, Tennessee fans don't really know what we have back there, but they have been a little bit disappointed, particularly now, Joe Warrior, in the passing defense department so far. And of course, you mentioned you'd like to see your your, your linebackers uh, leading up there in tackles, and it's no surprise to see Kirkland, Darren Kirkland, and, and Daniel Batuli uh, leading their leading their way up there. You know that that I think that's a, a good set of, of linebackers to do something with in this Jeremy Pruitt defense. Yeah, t- Tennessee has Tennessee has some uh, some potential there, uh, particularly Darren Kirkland Jr., who was out uh, most of last year with an injury. Uh, Daniel Patuli, who looks really good uh, so far early in the season. Will Ignat has looked good as well. They've got a they've got a, a, a linebacking core. Um, that that can make some noise. I was a little bit. They were kind of absent during the West Virginia game. Uh, you know, they really weren't. They really didn't show up on the stat sheet, and you really couldn't. Uh, they really didn't make an impact in the game. They played much better against ETSU, and still a little bit better against UTEP. I mean, they'll be tested this week against Florida, uh, and to a large degree, I think Tennessee's ability to stop Florida and, and prevent Florida from having long drives is going to come down to the linebackers. If Tennessee can focus, if Tennessee can, if the linebackers can stop the run and force Florida into a one-dimensional attack, I think Tennessee has a chance to win the game. But it's really going to come down to the front seven's ability to, to really clamp down and stop the Florida running attack. And that's really going to be up to the linebackers. Mike, for Florida fans who who haven't really got to see a whole lot of Tennessee and going back to the spring, and now we're we're in you know rivalry week, big game, uh, his, his first taste, Jeremy Pruitt's first taste of Florida, Tennessee. Uh, what's been the biggest you know positive takeaway from Jeremy Pruitt so far? Accountability. I, I think if you ask 100 Tennessee fans, 98 of them will say accountability, and then the other two would say cornbread. Uh, but accountability. Um, <laughs> You know, you have to explain cornbread after this. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, but but accountability. There, there's no more cliches. Uh, there's no more. There's no more like uh, you know brick by brick or champions of life. There, there's he, he's trash, not, can, trash cans. No trash cans. Turnover trash cans. He's he's not a marketer. He's not a salesman. He's not a program guy. You know what he is? He's a football coach. He really enjoys interacting with young men. He really enjoys coaching football, and he's the kind of guy. He's the kind of coach. If you saw him last week against UTEP, he's the kind of coach that uh, that can get into a player's face and can and can really make the make the make the hard correction on a player. But the players understand where it's coming from. They understand that it's genuine. They understand that it's trying to get them better players and better guys. In the past, uh, Tennessee. Uh, you know, and, and for the past few administrations at Tennessee, you, you've seen coaches who were kind of showboats, you know, not saying any names or salesmen with gimmicks uh, or guys who, you know, wore orange pants. Uh, it was, it was, it's just, it, it was, it was such a departure from what Tennessee has always been. Tennessee has always been a Tennessee school with a Tennessee guy, and they've always been about just football, and that's really what. You know, guys like me grew up in Tennessee. It was about football. It wasn't about showmanship. It wasn't. It wasn't LA football like USC and, and UCLA. And, and that, you know, that's not a derogatory statement. That's just kind of how you know the Hollywood football. It wasn't you know Big Twelve football where it was all about throwing the ball around. It was. It was. It was about Tennessee football. And when we got when when we fired Philip Fulmer, you know, we 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 went down that road of Lane Kiffin and then Derek Dooley and then Butch Jones, and we just got away from who we were. We got away from the identity of what Tennessee football is. And and, and Kiffin and Dooley and, and Jones are all, you know, they've they've got their own resumes and their coaches in their own right, but but they weren't what Tennessee football was. Jeremy Pruitt, even though he's coming from Alabama, is getting back to kind of what the historical identity of Tennessee has been coaching football not necessarily marketing not necessarily salesmanship not nothing like that just tennessee football getting out there getting on the on the playing field on the practice field and just playing football and, and so accountability you know he, you know he's 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 referenced the mistakes he's made he's referenced mistakes coaches have made and he'll he'll talk about mistakes the players have made and so he's accountable to the team he's he, the team is accountable to the fan base and, and everyone is accountable for their own performance that that hasn't been the way it has been around the program for a decade. And Tennessee fans are very happy to see that. As far as cornbread goes, that's his favorite food. That was one of the first questions he was asked, and he said, cornbread. And, and you know, that was just kind of uh, just kind of a funny anecdote. So 98 fans would tell you accountability, two fans would tell you cornbread. 
<laughs> and of course, the cornbread resonates with Tennessee fans, you know. <laughs> there we go. Um, and uh, I, I'd be probably hard pressed to ask also if uh, what's your thoughts on Georgia, man? Of course, we, we, that, that there's there's a common issue that we can come together on and 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 you know uh, not not like too much, but uh, it's gonna it, it's hard in Tennessee is gonna have to get better pretty fast if they want to compete yeah. with those boys. Yeah, so so I think you know I know your your next guest. I think you know Neil. He wrote the article about uh, why this game is so important for for both fan bases. You know, I, I think when you look at Georgia, that that kind of sums up why this why this game is important. If you look at uh, I think Florida, you guys have Mississippi State and mm-hmm. LSU from the West this year. You know, no no offense to your fan base, but you're not going to be the favorite in either one of those games. Tennessee has Auburn and Alabama out of the West. We're not going to be favorites in those games. I don't think either one of us are going to be favorites against Georgia. So th- this game is really important for, for, for Florida and Tennessee because you, it gives you that one conference win before you go into the brutal part of your schedule for Tennessee. We've got uh, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina lined up. I think you guys have Mississippi State, LSU, and Georgia, three of your next four games. Uh, so it's vitally important. But when you talk about Georgia, you know, in the in the history of uh, – you know, we talked about the rivalry earlier. The first 10 champions of the SEC East when, since the SEC East was formed were either Florida or Tennessee. Uh, when you talk about the history of the SEC East, it's really been a three-team division, Tennessee, Florida, and Georgia. Right now, there's no question uh, in my mind after Georgia's dismantling of South Carolina, this is a one-team division. It's Georgia and everyone else. In the past, it's always been Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, top three – and then the bottom four were always Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. And, and, and those four teams battled for spots four through seven, and the, and the top three teams battled for spots one through three. I think today in the SEC East, Georgia is battling for position number one, and the other six teams are battling for positions two through seven. Uh, so Tennessee, it, it, college football is better. Uh, the SEC is better, and the SEC East is better when Tennessee and Florida are good, and we take back that third Saturday, 3.30 CBS time slot. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, Georgia is in a league of their own, and Tennessee and Florida have their work cut out to catch up with them and, and get back to where the SEC East should be, where there's a strong Tennessee, a strong Florida, and a strong Georgia. Maybe just a little bit stronger Tennessee. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it'd be nice, if, if, like you said, the rivalry can get back to uh, what we saw in the 90s and, and the excitement. And uh, as you said, uh, when you know, of course, CBS starts their schedule a little bit earlier now since they don't cover tennis anymore. But uh, we, we we do know uh, when the first time you heard that CBS theme song, it was it, it oh, yeah. meant it meant Florida Tennessee was coming on. So yes, uh, hopefully, we get back to, to to that point. You know, I don't mind the night games. Uh, you know, it, it changes it. You know, it changes the feeling and everything. Uh, every now and then, because uh, you know, heck, it was it was not too long ago. CB, it was will be one. Of, it was one of CBS's primetime games. You know, some, sometimes they put it on the primetime. So early in the season now, and now that they kind of save that for uh, LSU and Alabama every year. So. <laughs> All right, Mike, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot only if you want to. Uh, if you want to do a prediction, you can throw it out there. If not, uh, or if you go put an article out there, uh, you can you can hype it that way. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't really want to, but but I guess it's part of my job. Uh, so Tennessee has shown me no reason that they should win this game. I, mean, I think it's going to be kind of a, a back-and-forth, stop-and-start game. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of field goals. I think I think it's going to be 23-16 Florida uh, with, with maybe Tennessee having a, a little bit of a shot at the end to maybe make a fourth-quarter drive and, and come up a little bit short. So that, that's kind of what I see. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, uh, but we'll see on Saturday. Can't wait. Yeah, should be. Should be. Uh, should be. Uh, it's going to be. I don't know. I, I think both fan bases can't figure out uh, where they're at right now. Uh, and – um, looking at it as a whole, you know, I think Florida fans can see reasons they're going to lose or win, and Tennessee fans can see reasons they're going to lose or win. So, um, it's just, yeah, yeah I, I haven't made my full prediction yet either, but uh, yeah, I, have, I have zero confidence in my prediction, by the way. <laughs> I'm trying not, to figure out how to get Neil off the mute here, would I mean, not be, would not be taking that to the bank. All right, let me see if I can figure that out. Um, Mike, also looking through uh, the rest of the year, you think it's Alabama, Georgia to finish the, to finish the SEC this year? I, I do. Here's the bottom line with Alabama: I, I think Georgia is clearly the team to beat the East. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see how you can 
argue otherwise. Yeah. With Alabama, you know, even after losing eight guys on one side of the ball to the NFL draft, until somebody beats Alabama, until somebody wins the West other than Alabama, I, I'm not going against them. Yeah. You know, that LSU defense looks good. LSU has surprised me. Uh, Auburn kind of looks sharp, even though they lost to LSU. That you know they have the potential. I, th- I think Mississippi State might be a dark horse team in the West. And they have a tremendous defensive line, but Alabama's offense uh, and their de- Alabama's offense looks uh, better than any Alabama offense in our generation. And their defense just kind of looks like every defense they have every year. And, you know, just kind of a, a top ten defense every year. It's it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but, but you know, it's it's what every fan wants their own program to be. Just a, just a a machine that's what they are so yes i think it's alabama georgia all right all right mike you want to stick around for a second if you want to or i'll bring neil in uh and we'll talk about his article of why this could you know why this is the the biggest part happy to happy to all right neil how's it going it's going good guys how are you you hear me i got you loud and clear. all right right. neil blackman from saturday down south right here joins us and uh, he released an article this week uh entitled it might not feel like it but this is the biggest florida tennessee game in a decade. So now we know neither team is ranked, uh, but the last few years, the rivalry has had some intense on and off the field moments with fourth quarter comebacks, trash talk, uh, a big Tennessee comeback to end the streak, uh, the heave to cleave last year. Uh, this rivalry's had it all in the last few seasons, Neil. But why is this one the biggest one in a decade? Uh, I just think that, that the programs are, are so in such similar spots. Um, and I think that these, these hires – are two programs at, at really critical junctures. I don't want to say Tennessee has, has necessarily fallen off the cliff, although maybe when you go 0-8 in the SEC, you kind of have. And then Florida to go 3-5 and five in the SEC last year and then to lose to Kentucky and, and really to, to kind of be mired in, in mediocrity for, for the better part of a decade now. Um, you know, I wrote at the beginning of the year, I think Florida's been lost in the wilderness since, since Tebow left, barring one good season. And so I think you have two programs at a crossroads and two fan bases that want to be confident in the, in the person they hired. Neither hired their first choice. You know, I know they say there's never a second choice when you make a hire, <laughs> but <laughs> that's nonsense. We all know that that's nonsense. So, and, you know, Perut wasn't Tennessee's first choice. Dan Mullen wasn't Scott Strickland's first choice. And so – you know, you're here, and, and this is about establishing in living rooms where your rebuild is. And, and re- you know, I think recruiting is, is everything in a rebuild, and, and I think this game uh, matters for that, for that reason. There's plenty of head-to-head battles which, which, are, which are happening between these two programs. And, and then the other thing is that they're in a division where they're looking up at this Death Star that, that Kirby Smart's building. And, you know, the, I think the impetus is on both programs to just sort of establish now that that they're ahead of at least each other in terms of uh, where the rebuild is. What's interesting to me is I think I think this game, having written the article that I did, I still think this game is more important for Tennessee than it is Florida, namely because I think Florida State is is the most important game for Mullen in that recruiting and living room uh, respect, and I think. There's plenty of, of data that kind of bears that out. But that doesn't mean that a, you know, a divisional game against a big rival can't be the biggest one we've had in 10 years. And I think just because of the similarities of where the programs are, um, Saturday night's huge. What do you think, Mike? Is, it, is, this, is, this, is, is, is it the biggest in the decade, one of the biggest in the decade? Yeah, so 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 I read Neil's article. And it's a great article. Uh, re- really enjoy your stuff, Neil. I, I agree with a lot of what Neil says. Both programs are in a similar spot. Uh, you know, for Tennessee, la- uh, well, I think what a lot of people don't realize about Tennessee's four and eight season last year, zero and eight in the SEC, is that was the worst season in Tennessee history. And, that, and that's not hyperbole. That is literally <laughs> Tennessee had never not won. Tennessee had never had a season where they won less than five games. I'm sorry, they never had a season where they lost more than seven games, and they've never had a season until last year where they were winless in the conference. By any empirical measure, last season was the worst in Tennessee history, 119 years of playing football, and last year was the worst season. Uh, so, so, So I think Neil's right. Both programs are kind of in a similar position, new coaches, kind of trying to get out of a decade of dysfunction is what we call it in Knoxville, or, or uh, I think, Neil, you said uh, a decade of uh, – how would you, how'd you describe it? Mm-hmm. 
But Florida's definitely Florida's been in the wilderness for a decade. The, the wilderness, yes, yes. Yeah. Getting out of the wilderness for a decade. Tennessee's had a decade of dysfunction with the with the, the Kiffin fiasco and then, and then the Dooley fiasco and then the the absolute Jones fiasco. So, I, I, so, but but I don't know that this game is the most important game in a decade, and here's why: because both programs have a new coach. Both of those programs are on their first year with that new coach, so fans have. Uh, fans are know that fans of both schools know that there is a two or three year rebuild coming. So they have the great. Both coaches have a grace period of at least a year. Both coaches are transitioning. Dan Mullins bringing in a, a different offense from what Jim McElwain had. Jeremy Pruitt's a defensive guy coming in and replacing an offensive guy. So both fan bases know that this is a total rebuild, both on the field, strategy wise, X's and O's wise, and from a culture perspective, both X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's, a complete rebuild for both for both teams. Certainly, it's a very important game. You know, I, I, Neil, I wrote a very similar article in 2016 about why this game was important for Tennessee, and I thought if Butch Jones could win that Florida game, it would propel the program back to national relevance. I was absolutely wrong because we did win the game, and then you know, five weeks later against South Carolina was the beginning of the end of the Butch Jones era. That was the Jalen Hurd game. We lost to South Carolina when we should have won the SEC East that year. Then we went on to lose to Vanderbilt instead of winning the SEC East. I think you guys won it. Uh, right. So. So, so I, maybe the reason why I'm not buying into the concept that this is the biggest game in decades because I've been burned on that once, and maybe I don't, <laughs> maybe I don't want to maybe I don't want to be burned on again. But but I think both fan bases know that both these coaches have a year. It's a complete rebuild. X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's both on the on the strategy and in the the mentality in the locker room. So I think maybe next year might be the biggest Tennessee Florida game in ten years. But I'm not so certain it's this year. Guys, a question I'll pose for both of you, and I don't know if I'm looking at it the, the right way or wrong way here. I see this as it, it's it's a huge, you know, not long term. I, I I won't ever put this game as a, as a long term outlook on Pruitt or Dan Mullen, but Mullen being proven, being at Mississippi State, being a head coach for you know eight nine seasons now, it would be hard to fathom and hard to accept that he went and lost to a first year head coach. Yes, and, you know, I, and I do agree with what Neil said. I think t- I think there's a little bit more riding on this for Tennessee than for Florida. Um, but but here's here's so here's the reverse of that. You know, you think you know what you've got in Dan Mullen. He's a coach who had success at Mississippi State, where the resources you know at Florida the resources are infinite, or at least they should be. You know, at Mississippi State, it's not that way. So what he did at Mississippi State, I think, was a great coaching job. So I, I think I think the Florida fan thinks they know what they have in Dan Mullen, a proven coach. Well, we've seen this before. We've seen coaches who were proven in other schools come into other schools, come into their new schools, and, and not have success. You know, with Tennessee fans, they, they really don't know what they have in Jeremy Pruitt. So the, maybe maybe the level of expectation isn't lower. Maybe the level of expectation is different for Pruitt. You know, so maybe, maybe Tennessee fans think that he's learning how to be a head coach much like Kirby Smart did his first year. Remember, Georgia was maybe two or three plays away from having an abysmal first year under Kirby Smart. They were also two or three plays away from having a 10-win season. That was a, a ridiculous season for Georgia his first year. So I, so I think maybe the level of expectations are different for, for Jeremy Pruitt than they are for Dan Mullen, and that might not necessarily work in Mullen's favor. I think there's a certain level of expectation, having been a previous coach and what he did at Mississippi State, and what he's done before at Florida uh, that, that might kind of um, uh, shape the narrative of what the Florida fan has uh, going into this game against two new coaches. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of a lot of truth to that. The one, the one thing I'd add is that you know we obviously live at a time where where narrative matters more, mm-hmm. more which is another reason that I think this game is is one that Mullen really needs is because Florida hasn't been 0-2 in the SEC since 1986. They've already done one thing this year that they haven't done since 1986, uh, losing <laughs> Kentucky. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that second step goes. But Florida fans, I think, you know, they, they understand, for the most part, they understand what, a, what type of job Mullen did at Mississippi State. And there's a sense that he's really ready for prime time. Um, he's got two things that are kind of working in his favor and yet working against him. You know, things can be two things. The one thing that's helping him recruiting-wise, I think, and, and could down the road is there appears to be dysfunction setting in in Tallahassee. 
Now, you go to Knoxville Saturday night and lay an egg against Tennessee. You're 0-2 in the SEC. Your wins are against Charleston Southern and what appears to be a pretty bad Colorado State team. You got to get a start next week. That's an L. You got to go to play LSU at home early October. Looked like maybe that was a dub earlier in the season. I'm not sure. That, that might be an L. Um, so you're looking at Nashville against a Vanderbilt team that just played Notre Dame tight as your first conference win. You're 0-4. And everybody's like, well, at least we're not Florida State. Well, you haven't beaten Florida State in almost a decade. In almost, what's, what's it now, Dave? Six years? 2012, um, yeah. Yeah, you haven't won that game since 2012. And now, all of a sudden, you can't win in Knoxville. You're 0-4 in the conference. And you're ready for prime time, guys. It's sniffing vulnerability in year one. Narratives matter. I mean, that's why, you know, that's kind of why I think there's some pressure on Mullen, but it might be that pressure where if he wins, it's a relief. Like Steve Spurrier used to say at the end of his tenure, one of the reasons he knew it was time to go is he was more relieved to win than he was happy. And nobody suffers winning like Florida fans. Florida fans might be like, we're pleased that we won. What a relief. But if they lose, then the noise. The noise always cranks up in Gainesville faster than you think it will. And, you know, oh, by the way, with Florida, you know, if, if Florida and Florida State are down, you know, they're getting attacked on the recruiting front from all directions. You've got USF, UCF, and Miami, you know, really hitting the Orlando, Miami, and Tampa markets really hard. And then if you go an hour or two, well, I guess three or four hours north, you've got Georgia – and another hour after that, you got Clemson and, and Tennessee all hitting the Atlanta market. And then if you go two or three hours northwest from Tallahassee, you're at Auburn. So well, let's, not, let's not forget either Clemson and Alabama, a lot of their success in the state of Florida recently, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that, that, that Florida market with, with UCF and USF really growing. And of course, with budgets the way they are now, it's very easy for Tennessee and Clemson and Alabama to, to fly into Florida and get some of that talent. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right there with with uh, the, the identification of um, winning being such an important recruiting tool in, in what is historically a Florida base, their home state. But it's it's ultra competitive now with what you have. You have five top teams there, uh, FAU, UCF, UC, USF. So you really have six teams, FSU, Florida, and then Miami rounding out. So you got 10, 10 big time programs or I'm sorry, six big time programs there just in state schools not to mention the other teams in the Southeast who it's fairly cheap to fly in there and, and poach kids out of. All right, Mike, anything else you got for us there on the, this, this, uh, game Saturday night? No, it was a pleasure. Uh, I hope some of your fans get a chance to go up to Knoxville and experience that, particularly if you got any Gator fans who have never been to a night game or to, been to a game in Knoxville. It's one of the great cathedrals of college football. Uh, you know, some, some uh, great history there and, and a great rivalry. I hope some of your fans get there and see it. I hope for a great game. And, David, it's been a pleasure uh, getting back with you and, and joining you again on Gators Breakdown. Really happy to see all the success you're having. You're doing a great job. All right. Thanks very much, Mike. And uh, we'll definitely we'll, – uh, we'll bring you on again, I'm sure. <laughs> Maybe we should catch up after the game. We'll see. We'll try that. We'll try that. <laughs> all right, Dave. Thanks, Mike. All right, Neil, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, let's talk some Gators here. Uh, Neil, what, what do you think, um, uh, you know, so far, you know, I, I was telling Mike, you know, it's really hard to get a read on, on this game. I don't think we know what to expect from Florida. I don't think we know what to expect from Tennessee. I don't think we know what to expect from this Florida defense that two weeks ago didn't look the part. <laughs> can, can they improve on the thing? Look, they, they did show improvement last week. You know, things you could still see, you know, they, they, were, they were disciplined. They were in their gaps uh, much more sound than they were against Kentucky. But, you know, we know it's different. It's, it's Tennessee. It's the first road game. You know, so my, that, yeah. that's probably one of my biggest questions is how did this team react on the road? Yeah, I think, I think that, that's the big one for me. Is I wrote an article about Felipe Franks today and just, you know, it's his, it's his, uh, it's his third road start, I think. So mm. um, one and one on the road. But, of course, the victory came in a game he was benched. Um, <laughs> so – uh, his numbers on the road aren't terrible, actually. You look them up, and you're kind of like, all right, th those are reasonable. They're, his completion percentage is on brand, about 53 54%. Um, and then he's got, you know, he, he's got a couple touchdowns and, and a pick. But, but I think, you know, what do, what do we get from him? One thing we've seen 
that's always important on the road is, is, you know, how do you, how does a quarterback pick up protections? Um, how's he, how's he changing protections? How's he see blitzes? You know, Felipe Frank showed market improvement in that in game one and game two, but it's a whole different animal to do it, you know, in the swamp versus doing it in front of a hundred thousand plus at Neyland that are, that are frothing at the mouth for you. So I think, you know, that's a big one. And then can Florida stay consistent tackling like they were last week? Is that, mm-hmm. Was that a one-week fix because they went through some hell week type tackling drills, or you know, or is that going to be their identity? Hey, we've cleaned this up. Um, you know, th- those are pretty big questions for me. And then obviously, you guys have talked about it ad nauseum. I think we've we've all written about it. But you know, what does Florida want to be in the running game? Yeah. Um, you read my and, mind. Look, look I was, that's what I was going to ask you about next. So go away. Yeah. Keep going. Or, 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 keep, no, going. I mean, keep going. Keep what, going. What, yeah. <laughs> What do they want to be in the running game? And, and I think this is the best, you know, with all due respect to Josh Allen, who's a great linebacker, um, probably the best linebacker Florida's played. This is probably the best set of linebackers Florida's mm-hmm. played. Um, and certainly, you know, Tennessee was porous up front last year, but the, it's not a talent issue. I mean, you know, Kyle Phillips can play. Tuttle, he can play. Congo can play. So they've got dudes um, – who does Florida want to be? Do they want to be physical at the point of attack? And and then, you know, you guys have talked about, you know, the running back rotation. Is it easier for mm-hmm. Coach Knox now with with uh, with Davis gone, or or is it time just to, to just say, hey, Damian Pierce is a guy, and we got to get him worked in? And um, you know, so I think those are kind of the you know, it's it's simple to say you got to tackle and you got to be physical right. at the point of attack to win a football game. But this is the SEC on the road, so you got to do those things. Yeah, and, and another thing, I, we had a good question on, on the last podcast, and, or it was sent to us, and I can't remember um, when I when I brought it up. It was Sunday's episode, and it was like, you know, we've been through three games so far. What is the identity of this team? And I don't yeah. think we know that yet. Is it? Yeah, you know, it doesn't need to be Felipe Frank's throwing thirty eight times like he did against Kentucky, but. It was there. Uh, they, they they saw it. That it was probably in, it was may have been in the game plan, or that's what Franks was checking to a lot of the times. And that's you know in, in scenarios, uh, you know, look, there was times he was looking to the line of scrimmage and checking to a play that they were sending in from from the coaching staff. So you know, I don't think it was by accident he threw for thirty eight games, but I don't think that's necessarily a uh, a formula to win for Florida. No, I I mean I don't, and I think you know hopefully the. The interior of the line shows more improvement with Brett Hedgie playing more snaps um, because I still think this is a this is a football team that can be physical. That we've seen them do it against a physical front only a year ago when they when they pushed LSU around for two and a half quarters and then stopped doing what they were doing. <laughs> um, and and you know Pinheiro misses the extra point and yeah. however you want to chalk that up. But you know Florida can be physical. Um, they've shown it. Uh, in the last year with, with this personnel group. So is that who you want to be? I think so, because I don't think – I think you have to take the market improvement that Frank has him and say, look, young man, you're doing a heck of a job adjusting to, to being a game manager. We don't want to have to put things on your shoulders yet that it's just not fair to put on your shoulders. And, and for me, with the talent that they have at running back, that just seems like mm-hmm. you know the logical step to take. But, but, but I guess – you know, we'll like you said, we'll find out. It's hard to tell based on the low snap count last week. You know, if if they wanted to get back to a physical running game type identity, or if that's just we only had forty four snaps because we couldn't get any first downs in the first half. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that that, that forty four snaps really does have it. It, it, <laughs> it does throw you for a loop okay, of what the because you, you know in forty four plays and with the way the special teams was going. Whatever game plan you probably had went out the window, <laughs> right? Right. Because <laughs> I mean, you were starting so many drives, you know, in the red zone already, and you know, if you had any scripted plays and all that, you know, all that kind of stuff probably went out the window uh, <laughs> with what with what was going on there. So, um, Neil, uh, I don't know if you would kind of maybe be surprised by the results here. I look, you know, of course, a lot of my Twitter followers are Florida fans. Of, of course, they're going to be here. But I did throw up the poll question: uh, What is your prediction for Florida versus Tennessee? And at uh, fifteen hundred votes. Uh, 51%. There were four choices here, but 51% said Florida wins close. So, you know, even Gator fans uh, see a close fault contest here. And, and of course, they, they should. Uh, or it was 34%. Florida wins by 10 plus. 
Tennessee wins close and only um, – Three percent saying Tennessee wins by ten plus. So you know, of course, you know, I, I think looking at the results there, I know I knew a lot of Florida fans were going to pick Florida winning, but <laughs> many Gator fans do see this being a close game in Knoxville. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it will be a close game. Um, you know, I think there are some areas where Florida has or or should have an advantage. I mean, you know, we keep waiting for this this uh, Florida front that we heard so much about in camp to step up and and have a monstrous game. And obviously we saw flashes of it from Zuniga. And I thought CC Jefferson had some moments Saturday. What I thought mainly Jefferson did was, was just kind of brought some composure to a defense that, mm-hmm. that had missed his leadership and David Reese's leadership. Um, and that's with immense respect for, for what Chauncey Gardner is as, as, a, as a leader. Um, but I think it helps to have one in the front seven and then one on the back end. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a close football game. I do think Florida's defensive line is better. I haven't seen anything from from their quarterback that, you know, Garantano that would make me think, you know, he's going to light the world on fire against Florida's secondary. I think Florida has an advantage there. And to be honest, I think one – and, I, you know, I kind of wanted your thoughts on, on whether, you know, is Florida's struggle for an identity just sort of the coaching staff trying to figure out how to – and what to do with the various amount of playmakers they have. This is from a personnel standpoint. I talked to a couple of people writing some articles about Jordan Schuyler, Scarlett, and LaMichael Pirine, but you know, the conversations drift to receivers, and, and many, of them, many of these NFL people said there's two or three pros in that group mm-hmm. that, that Florida has you know, at, at wide receivers. So are they looking at that personnel group and going, you know, we just match up with people? And, and, you know, does that complicate things? Are they still trying to figure out who they are and who they want to be as a coaching staff? Oh, I think so. You, of course, the, it's – and Mullins even mentioned it before too. Look, the, the practice schedule, they've limited – NCAA's limited practice schedules uh, from what he's been used to in years past. So they, they, he doesn't have a lot – he didn't have a lot of time or as much time as he's had uh, in years past of, of trying to figure out, yeah. you know, a team and what they got going on. And I, and I do agree, you know, Florida – Look, we've talked about it. they have a stable of running backs. How would they figure that out? Well, in a way, that's kind of taking care of itself. So <laughs> you got you got three guys now, and I'm sure they'll move Clement back uh, unless they feel the need uh, to really keep him uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, he can be the fourth guy uh, after Lemons and now Davis out for quite some time now. Uh, and then, yeah, the, we've talked about the potential, and that's a scary word, of course, of this receiving core. But they're held back so much from quarterback play. Uh, you know, how can you look? We see what Antonio Callaway is doing in the NFL <laughs> right now already. Too. So, you know, Florida's had this this core of wide receivers, too, that we say has lots of potential, but held back by quarterback. And I do think they are trying to figure out how much do you get the ball to Tony? How do you figure out this rotation of running backs? How many touches does Jefferson Grimes need? Uh, how can we use Swain and Hammond uh, maybe as possession type of receivers or red zone threats or, or and Grimes as a red zone threat? How do you, I mean, and the numbers that tied in, there's numbers there too. I still do think yeah. they, they are trying to figure out what they have here. And it's going to be a lot of learning on the fly. Felipe Franks is learning on the fly. The offensive line is learning on the fly. The coaching staff is learning on the fly of having, ha- ha- figuring out how to put all these pieces together. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, I think. One thing that the Florida fans I feel like should be encouraged by is that a lot of this, there's a method to it. There's a plan. You know, it's hard with the 44 plays, but certainly in the first two games, it was, it was relatively easy to figure out what they were doing and what they were seeing as a coaching staff. It wasn't, you know, the old staff would be like, well, we have a lot of playmakers and maybe we should make a list of who they like that kind of stuff. I mean, this is big time college football. I mean, you know, so I like that there's a method to it. You know, I, you know, when we do get the ball to Kadarius Tony, it's, hey, Kadarius Tony's in the Wildcat, and he's going to make four guys miss and get eight yards, you know, and we know that that's a position we're going to put him in to succeed and that kind of stuff. We're not just throwing a, a bubble screen to him on first and ten because that's what our playmaker list says to do, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Florida has to figure out what that is. And in a lot of ways, this road game is kind of a, a blessing because mm. – you don't have your first row game in Starkville in, against that football team and, and, and what that environment's going to be like. Yeah. Um, man, I had something on my mind. Oh, yeah. Another, <laughs> another question that was brought up today. And I, I asked Will this, too, and I've seen it. It's been mentioned on Twitter a good bit today, too, is the 
is Mullen holding anything back with his playbook? And as I said in the last show, I hope not because you got a loss to Kentucky on the resume right now. So uh, I, hope you're, uh, I hope you're not holding anything back. And more than likely, if we haven't seen anything or we see something new, hey, look, there might be a couple plays out there, but it's not – I don't think they were saving too much for Tennessee. It, it's more me and more natural progression of the offense and installing more and more of the offense week by week. Yeah, and Dan Mullen's history – you know, I defer to Will on – these sorts of matters, but Dan Mullen's history in terms of holding stuff back is he doesn't do it. I mean, this yeah. is a guy that, you know, he, when, when Miss state played nickel state, they won 70 to three because they emptied out the playbook. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, well, we saw the jump past week one. So come on. <laughs> yeah. They're not, no, they run, they run their stuff. It's football. You we're running it. You try to stop it. Yeah. That's the way I think that's the way Spurrier looked at it too. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Will, quickly before I sign off here, you want to you wanna break down those SEC games with me right quick? Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Some quick, quick thoughts on the uh, SEC slate for week four here, uh, going in order of these games that are being played. Hey, Georgia at Missouri. Hey, this is a big week in the SEC East, by the way. So uh, yeah. two, two weeks ago we had it with uh, Georgia, South Carolina, and Florida, Kentucky. And now this week uh, to kick it off, Georgia at Missouri. Oh man, I maybe Missouri can hang with them for a half, but uh, it, look, it probably will look a lot like last year's game, honestly. I think it will look a lot like last year's game. And I'll tell you what, I sent a tweet out about halfway through the Purdue game when Missouri was up big, kind of saying, Oh, everybody's sleeping on Missouri. Look how good Drew Locke is. <laughs> Buckner and that defense is flying around. And then they gave up about 600 yards after the tweet. So, <laughs> to 0 and 3 Purdue. It's funny how that works out, right? And I was worried I was going to end up on freezing cold takes, and then they <laughs> they won the game. Yeah, I like Georgia by three or four touchdowns. Yeah, okay. Uh, Kent State, Ole Miss, not much to see there. Let's yep. See if Ole, Ole Miss can really just bounce back. Bet uh, the from- over. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, I'm sure they want to feel better about scoring only seven points last week to get that Alabama defense. Uh, Neil, does Jimbo, can he do it again? Does he have anything for an- another top-ranked team, uh, Alabama? Host Texas A&M, and uh, as I said, two weeks ago, Jimbo uh, almost had everything together and upset Clemson. I still think this Alabama team is a different monster at this point in the season. You know, he does not. What I want to see in this game, I hate to be the What I want to see in this Gary Danielson mode, but what I want to <laughs> see in this game is this is the first legitimate defense with athletes that has game planned for Tua. So okay, yeah. what does that mean? You know, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what I wanted to, to, to see, you know, because you didn't have a lot of film on him last year. And the most film you were going to ever have on him was the second half of the National Championship game. You know, what what, what will teams do once they get film on him? So there's that last half against Georgia last year and, and now a few games on the resume. And you're right. Uh, you know, they didn't really Texas A&M didn't have to concentrate on Louisiana Monroe last week, I think. Uh, too much, right. you know. They could uh, spend two weeks pre- prepping for Alabama there. So yeah, that's a good that's a good point there. I, yeah, see, er, especially early on, uh, what what they can do there uh, with, with Tua, uh, South Carolina at Vanderbilt. I'm torn on this game as about as much as I'm torn on Florida Tennessee right now. Uh, Carolina, the shellacking of Georgia a couple uh, uh, from Georgia a couple weeks ago. Game canceled last week against Marshall. Vandy woulda shoulda coulda beat Notre Dame last week. Uh, had had a chance late. This is a, another tough game to call. Yeah, they're salty. The, the doors are salty on defense, and Kyle Shermer is really good. I don't know if Jake Bentley's really good or not. I know he played a great game in the Outback Bowl. I like the Commodores in an upset at home. I think I might be leaning it too. I, I think part of it is have they bounced back after the Notre Dame game. Uh, I'm sure a lot went right. into that game, uh, but. Uh, yeah, they they they're 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 a better looking team than I, I expected to see through through. Uh, I mean, look, they kind of started the same way last year. Uh, they blew up teams. I think they what went to Kansas State or Kansas State went to there and, and they won. Yeah, everything was riding high, and then they played Alabama and it all came crashing down. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if they uh, we'll see if they can keep it going this year. Um, uh, Mississippi State Kentucky kind of sneaky game maybe. It's at Kentucky seven o'clock. Um, both. Teams look pretty physical so far this year, but I uh, still think in the end Mississippi State's gonna gonna be too much. Yeah, I think uh, I think they're just too good. Kroger Field will be electric. That'll be a fun one to watch. Like I like I do a lot of you know you get home from church and I'll I'll be like which SEC game am I gonna watch on Sunday? <laughs> 
a Jags play at one. So probably yeah. about five o'clock, but I'll be like, ah. <laughs> strap in for some Kentucky and, uh, and Miss State. Man, the SEC Network needs to hire some people who would do those one-hour condensed versions. They're running one-hour games all, all, day, all day on Sunday. <laughs> one-hour uh, YouTube version, right? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, so, so, somebody get them up really fast. Uh, Louisiana <laughs> Tech, LSU, uh, not much to see there. LSU is just pretty much uh, can, they, can they keep it going, uh, keep, yeah. the, keep the foot on the pedal for uh, a week after a big win uh, against Auburn. And then, speaking of Auburn, the end the SEC slate, Arkansas at Auburn. And, Neil, whew, what a what – a, what a terrible look for Arkansas right now. I uh, I didn't like the hire, um, you know, and and I also didn't realize what that Bielema just didn't leave anything behind. So and even so if he did, little, it's still a completely different style of offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a totally different offense. And people that you know, I think there are some people that are fascinated by the hire, and I think a lot of that was about Chad Morris's ability to access Texas and recruiting without paying much attention to the results at SNU, which just yeah. kind of, eh. Neil, you got a prediction for Florida, Tennessee you want to share, or you just, uh, just. I think, I think Florida wins on an Evan McPherson field goal that is called good from 38 yards. <laughs> Hopefully it's not questionable and it's not the same crew that we had in Gainesville a couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, that, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll have to look that up. I'll have to see. I'll, I'll, I, I do. Now you've piqued my interest. I really want to go see if I can figure out who the ref crew is. And I want to make sure it's not the same one from two, from two weeks ago. And if anything, maybe Mullen can uh, say or request he doesn't want that crew again. So, Yeah, no doubt. Well, Jay, uh, it's awesome to talk to you. Big fan of Gators break. Thanks for all you do to support and promote uh, Gator football. Hey, thank you, Neil, so much uh, for joining me here. I will, I, I'm definitely going to get you on again. Uh, good, good, good info out there. You can get Neil. Uh, Neil, what's your Twitter handle out there? People can follow you. I'm uh, at NW Blackman. So pretty right. easy. All right, and you can follow his work on Saturday down south. Uh, and if you're big soccer fans, Neil, out there, I know uh, <laughs> Neil has a lot of thoughts about that soccer out there too, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, all right. That's Neil Blackman from Saturday down south joining us here. Uh, on Gators Breakdown. So, guys, uh, thanks for uh, listening here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Really good preview of the Tennessee Vols and Florida Gators kicking off on Saturday night. Uh, plenty, plenty, plenty of electricity still around this game. Maybe not national, but around Florida and Tennessee, definitely. Both teams want to win this game. Both teams uh, want to get off to a, a better start uh, in the SEC. Florida can they get the one and one in the conference and continue to see start one and zero in the conference. Big game for Dan Mullen, I think. Uh, when it's all said and done, uh, can't go into in the conference, especially with Mississippi State LSU coming up. Got to get a W. Got to get a win in Knoxville. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully by the time we talk Sunday, remember there will be a reaction episode on Sunday where we kind of review the game. But hopefully, when we review and look at that game. We are talking about a Florida Gators win. Uh, people will probably ask me my, for my prediction. I think it's going to be pretty low scoring here, so I'm going to go 2017. And hey, look, you've heard me say it many times in this podcast. I try to be, I try to be fair, try to be unbiased for the most part. But when everything is, I see it kind of even. I'll let my bias take over there. So there we go. 2017 Gators win, uh, and I like uh, Will's there thought. Is it going to be a late field goal uh, or Neil's thought there? Uh, late field goal by McPherson kind of makes a lot of sense right now. And as I said, hopefully it's not that same crew that was uh, in the swap two weeks ago. And they'll call this one good if it actually is good. So Gators win, I think, 20-17. to 17, And uh, hopefully that's the way it comes out. So guys and girls out there, uh, you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC uh, and uh, Gators Breakdown iTunes, Google Play, newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. That's how you can find Gators Breakdown. And uh, thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll see you guys later. Go Gators, beat Tennessee.